grace and peace to you, from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, is it possible to have a relationship of love without sacrifice? I don't think so. In fact, sacrifice is the most important way that you can show that you love and care about someone. Your buddy gets uncomfortable around alcohol, so when he comes over, you don't have it around. You don't, you don't have it in the open. Even though you're well within your rights to, you lay that right aside. Sacrifice it for your buddy. A newlywed might stop texting their exes because no matter how good they might still be friends, because they are willing to sacrifice that to show their new spouse that they love them. A parent might say no to some job opportunities because they and sacrifice success in their profession in order to spend more time with their family. Sacrifice is the language. It is part and parcel to having a loving relationship. But did you have you realized how you feel when someone demands sacrifice from you. If your buddy says to you, put away that alcohol, it makes me uncomfortable, you might still do it, but it makes you feel some kind of way when he says that, right? Or if it's your spouse who says, hey, I don't want you texting that person anymore, that makes you feel some kind of way. Or when it's your spouse who says, hey, you should not take that job promotion because I need you home with the kids more often, when sacrifice is demanded from us, then we're a lot less willing to make it, aren't we? We want it to be voluntary. We want it to be willing. We want, to, we want it to be our idea to show love for someone in this way. And as you heard in our Old Testament lesson, our first lesson for today, God makes a demand of a sacrifice, a literal sacrifice. And it is nothing short of horrifying. But when we take a closer look at what God exactly is asking from Abraham, we see that this isn't all that different from what he asks from each and every one of us. This is one of those good examples of how the Bible is written differently than modern novels or than, than history books. A lot of history books or novels, they try to take you inside someone's heart, inside someone's mind, will tell you how they're feeling there are no feeling words in all of this lesson from Genesis 22. There's just dialogue and action. And maybe it leaves you wanting more. Maybe you wish you could, you could hear a little bit more. You can tell that this is a dramatic scene going on between God and Abraham and Isaac. But Moses, the inspired author of Genesis, he gives us plenty to go off of. We can imagine what Abraham is going through because he gives us more than enough detail to understand. God comes to Abraham and he says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. As if God could be talking about anyone else, as soon as he said, take your son, Abraham knew who he was talking about. But God digs the knife into Abraham, your only son whom you love, the son you've been waiting a hundred years for. The son that I've promised to you, God says. And some commentators think that at this time, Isaac was about 20 years old, probably. 
which means that Abraham as a father, it's not too far in the past that Abraham can remember Isaac's chubby little baby cheeks, can remember those times when he heard Isaac mispronounce some words and it was so cute. But here Isaac is a young man and Abraham, like all of us fathers, is so proud of his son and the man he's becoming and the skills that he's learning and the ways he's able to contribute to the family. That's the son he's supposed to take. And God, time after time, had taught Abraham to expect good things out of this son, had said, I'm going to give you a son in your old age. You're 100 years old, Abraham. And yet through Isaac, you'll have so many descendants. You will have so many people calling you their father, Abraham. And that's the son he's supposed to take and do. What? God is not unclear with what he's asking Abraham to do. We can't sidestep what God is commanding Abraham to do with his son and his only son. It's not like God is asking Abraham to set Isaac aside for some special purpose. No, God is talking about killing him. God says, take your son Isaac and make him into a burnt offering. Now, the system of Old Testament sacrifice wasn't in place yet, but Abraham got the picture. The same word that is translated burnt offering here would be used later for those bulls and goats that the Israelites were supposed to kill and light entirely on fire on the altar, the smoke rising to God. And Abraham is supposed to picture his son on that altar. There is no question what God is asking. The question is, why? Why would God demand from Abraham something like this? Why would God push Abraham into a position where he's face to face with this contradiction where Abraham has to decide between two things. Is God the God of life who loves life or has God turned on me somehow that he's going to command me to do this? Because Abraham knows the promises he's given about Isaac that through him your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore and yet he's commanded to kill him. What's going to win? Abraham's trust in God and his promises that somehow through this he is still good, even when it makes no sense to Abraham at the time? Or will Abraham say, that's it, we're done, God, this is too much? And that's the similarity between you, me, and Abraham. God would never command us to sacrifice any of our children, but God does push us into that position where we have to find out for ourselves what's more important to us. God, his word, his will, and his goodness, or our own hearts? You hear what God says in his word about, let's say, sexuality. And your heart says, is it a big deal what consenting adults do behind closed doors? What's going to win when you feel that way? God and his word and his will, or your heart? Or you hear, you understand that God clearly teaches when life begins, and yet your heart and societal pressures say, is God serious? Does he really mean to say that terminating a pregnancy is ending a life without exception? Really? What's going to win? God and his word and his will, or your own heart? You are in any position 
where you want to follow what you understand instead of what God understands. When you are called to obey and listen to God, even when you disagree with it, even when God's word and his will seem bad to you in that moment, you're in the same position Abraham was. What's going to win? Are we going to trust in God and his goodness that he knows what he's talking about even when all evidence around us says otherwise? Or will we go our own way? Those are the moments when you figure out if you have a God that you're willing to submit your whole life to or if all this time you just had a God that you agree with who says things that you find nice. As if your perspective is just as important in your relationship with God as his perspective. God will frequently push us into those spots where we have to see for ourselves what's more important. i got to be honest with you. I fail that test constantly. Don't you? I am much more likely to go my own way than to listen to God in his word and his will. God has asked me to do so much less than what he has asked Abraham to do. And Abraham's obedience to God's command dwarfs our obedience to God's command. Because look at him. What does he do? As soon as God commands him to do the unthinkable, something he never would have imagined God told him to do, Moses tells us he goes to bed because he's got to get a good night's sleep. Now I doubt that he slept a wink that night, but he got up early the next day because he had immediately planned on doing what God had told him to do. Imagine. He gets up early in the morning and he starts cutting wood for the burnt offering. He grabs a knife. He grabs a torch with fire. He tells his servants to come help him. They load up a donkey and they head out. And he doesn't tell anybody else what is about to happen because Abraham is probably struggling with this so much, but he's going to do it. He's going to obey. He hears and then he does. And we don't get any insight into what's going on in Abraham's heart, but we don't need it. You don't need to be too creative to imagine how Abraham feels. They cross a a certain moment, and then that mountain, Moriah, comes into vision. And you don't have to be too imaginative to understand that as soon as Abraham sees that mountain, his heart just drops, because that's where he's going to have to kill his son. They go a little bit further, and they shed those two servants. He tells them to wait for them. They keep going, and then Isaac hits him with that question, just twisting the knife in Abraham's heart. Where's the burnt offering? And you can't escape the irony here, can you? The burnt offering asks, where's the burnt offering? And Abraham replies in a way where he shows he's a little bit clever. He says, the Lord will provide the burnt offering, my son. And of course, Abraham knows that to be truer than ever because God had provided him with the very son that he's talking to. God had provided him with what now has to be a burnt offering. But Isaac can hear this and then he's none the wiser. How could Abraham go through with this? At no point in this whole lesson do we see Abraham waver, even for a moment. How could he? Because you have to remember that Abraham's relationship with God wasn't one-sided, and neither is yours. God wasn't some tyrant barking orders down from heaven telling Abraham to go here 
and go there all to, just to amuse God. God didn't tell Abraham to sacrifice his son just to get a kick out of him. From day one in Abraham and God's relationship, Abraham had no choice but to rely on God's goodness. When God called Abraham out of his father's household and said, I'm going to move you into a town that you've never seen, into a land you've never heard of before, trust me, Abraham had no choice but to confide his whole self and his wife Sarah into God's loving, providing hand. And so every day since that moment that Abraham left his father's household, every day that he had a place to sleep, clothes on his back, and food to eat, he had fulfillment of God's goodness. He knew that 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 was evidence that God was still providing for him. And then God promised him that he would have a son in his old age. And what happened? He did. And so God had shown Abraham more than enough times that he's worth trusting and that his goodness is worth relying on, no matter what is going on in the world. He had seen too much evidence now to abandon God and his goodness when things got really hard. And so if you ever doubt God's goodness, you have only to look to one place. If you ever doubt that God's promises are going to be kept and that God is good and loving, you have only to look at one place. If you ever doubt that God has your best interests in mind with what he says in here, no matter how much you disagree with it, no matter how bad it might seem to you at the time, you have only to look at one place, and it's the place where God proves he knows a thing or two about sacrificing a son. Look to the cross. God was not commanding Abraham to do anything he wouldn't do himself, except Abraham didn't have to go through with it. We mentioned before that sacrifice is how you show someone you love them. God was asking Abraham to sacrifice to show his love for God, but what has God done to show his love for you? At Jesus' baptism and at his transfiguration, God the Father's voice boomed from heaven and said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And why did he do that? For Jesus' benefit, sure, but also for our benefit, so that we could see who it was going to the cross and dying. This is God's Son, whom he loves. Together with the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son, enjoying a beautiful relationship of love and mutual appreciation in the, in the divine truth of the Trinity throughout eternity. And that's the Son that God sacrifices on a cross. Why? To fulfill his promises. To fulfill a promise he had made to Adam and Eve in the garden. To fulfill his promise to, to Abraham that he would have many descendants because Jesus came, as a, according to his human nature, as a descendant of Abraham. So that everyone who looked to the same God for goodness that Abraham did could be called a son, a daughter of Abraham. Jesus, when he walked, this world, walked the surface of this earth, showed nothing but loyalty to his Father, putting God the Father first and accepting God the Father's commands, even when it meant giving up his own life and enduring the wrath of hell even though he didn't deserve it. Why? Because of his love for you. Because of his loyalty to you. Your relationship with God is not one-sided. 
God is not up in heaven barking orders to you, do this and do that. Look at what God has already done for you. He made his son a sacrifice to pay for all of your sins, to give you one thing to look at, the cross, to prove to you how much he loves you, how far he will go to make you his, how loyal he is to his promises to you. Because God doesn't change, you know that those promises are not going to change. No matter what happens, no matter what bad things are happening around you, what evidence there might be to the contrary that God is in control and that God is good, you know too much, you know that to be true as one who has been baptized into Christ. And so Abraham's demonstration of trust was when he stretched out his arm with that knife in hand and he had no clue what was going to happen next. He just trusted that somehow, some way, even in this moment, God is good and worth listening to. So maybe that moment looks for you like when you're surrounded by a bunch of evolutionary biologists and they ask you what you believe about how the universe came into being. Maybe, for you, that looks like when someone who is not your spouse wants to do more than kissing, and you don't see what the problem with that is, but you draw the boundary anyway, because you know that God is good. Maybe, for you, that means you don't really understand why we have to give money to a church, and that's, and that's how we worship God, but you know what God says in his word, and so you do it, because God is good. And therefore, what he says is good. See, God will push us into these situations where we see for ourselves that God is not a lunch lady. We have come into God's presence this morning not to form a line in the cafeteria so that God can dump some goodness on our plate and so we can take his goodness off and be separate from him and just enjoy his blessings. No, God is our whole lives. God gives us his blessings and his gifts, and he asks us to glorify him with them. So God will test us like he tested Abraham. Not because God needs to see anything. God can see straight into your heart. He knows how strong your faith is already. But so that we see for ourselves what's really important, God in his word or me following my own ways. Did I have a God that I just agreed with and whose perspective I thought was interesting, or do I have a God that I'm submitting my whole life to? And we failed at tests. Abraham succeeded with flying colors, but you don't have to read too far into Genesis to realize that sometimes he really whiffed it as well. That's important. That In those moments, it's important to remember the cross where Jesus forgave every one of those sins, but you can bet that another test will come. Another opportunity to show our allegiance to God, even when all evidence points in the opposite direction, it will come. But here's the real kicker. Here's the real head-scratcher. God speaks blessings to Abraham for his obedience. Here's why that doesn't make a ton of sense. The reason Abraham had a relationship with God is because God had provided it. The reason that Abraham had promises to hold on to, to trust in, is because God had provided those promises. The reason that Abraham had a strong faith is because God had provided that faith. 
So why should Abraham get credit for something God had given to him? And so it is with you. On the last day, God is going to say to you and me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm so proud of you. Look at all the ways that you obeyed my will. Look at all the ways that you put me first. And we'll say, when did I ever do that? When did I ever put you first, God? I failed you so many times. And by the way, you are the one who provided for me. You were the one that provided faith, created faith in my heart. You were the one who strengthened that faith and may be able to obey you and trust in you. So why should I get credit? And you know what? God's not going to answer that question. He's just going to grab you and say, come share in my goodness. Come share in your inheritance bought for you by Jesus Christ. And you'll go. God provides even that as well. Amen.